let's, uh, let's go to uh, Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 today. And uh, let's see how we do. Let's see how we do. Looking at time, looking at what we got going on here. All right. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, uh, last week, if you were here, we looked at the transfiguration of Jesus, where uh, Jesus brings Peter and James and John up to the uh, mountain with him. And right there it says he was transfigured before their eyes, the word we get metamorphosis from, that he was changed. And it says that he was shining. Uh, his raiment became shining. His clothing became shining. It says in verse 3, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. So these, and Matthew talks about this radiance just coming from him. And basically, uh, Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, the veil of his flesh being lifted to give Peter, James, and John this witness, this testimony of Jesus in his glory. And it was just a, an awesome time. And then we saw that Moses and Elijah appeared there. I mean, it was, it was, if it wasn't done in our lives, we would be standing there in amazement, truly a mountaintop experience for, uh, for these three. Uh, who saw this. And when we talk about a mountaintop experience, of course, we're talking about this time where you're living on a higher plane. You are just walking in fellowship with God, in tune with God, and the power of God that he has revealed himself in, in a way that's just been breathtaking to you. And as we said, uh, we'd love to be able to stay on the mountain Peter wanted to stay. He says, let's build three tents, one for uh, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But uh, they weren't to stay there. Uh, one, Peter was wrong. There is no equal to Jesus, as we just got done singing, uh, that Jesus is God himself. Uh, man can't even be in the same uh, vicinity of him. So, um, so now we're going to get to this next part. We're going to be, I'll read from verses 14. Uh, to 29, so stick with me here, and uh, we'll, we'll see what um, the rest of the scripture has for us. Verse 14, it says, and when he came to his disciples, so Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus, they come down from the mountain, and it says, he saw a great multitude of, about them, and the scribes questioning with them, and straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. Where, uh, and wheresoever he taketh him, he tears him, and he foams and gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him and fell on the ground and uh, wallowing and, and foaming, he answered his father, How long is it since uh, this came unto him? And the father answers, Jesus, of a child. And oftentimes it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou can, can believe, all things are possible to them that believe. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe help me with my doubt, or help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter him no more. 
And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto him, This kind can only come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we'll do a quick breakdown of this in the time that we have remaining. And basically, again, uh, Jesus comes down in verse 14 with his disciples being Peter, James, and John. They come down from the mountaintop, and a crowd of people are there, and there's this big dispute going on, and right in the center of the crowd are the scribes, and they're disputing with the remaining nine disciples who were left behind. Uh, nothing brings you down from the mountaintop than you know coming back and getting into the middle of a dispute. I don't like disputes. I'd rather miss disputes, you know. I'm not a disputing kind of guy, but they happen, you know. It's just the way it is. And uh, again, we shouldn't be surprised about disputes happening, by the way. If you're a Christian here, you know the Bible says that Satan is the god of this world, that at this time he is running the culture. Listen, the culture is as messed up as it is because Satan is the god of this world, okay? Uh, so if he's running the show, what really should surprise us are those few times when everything goes right, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. Anything you try, anybody ever try to do something even around their house and it just go completely right all the time? And when it does, aren't you amazed by that? I mean, I just had a little simple thing the other day. I just had to change. I was putting a diverter in with a handheld shower and a shower head there. I had everything ready to go. I get it all apart. I'm missing this one little part that's this big. This big. So what I got to do? I go locally to the place, and the guy says, I don't have that part. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I got to go to Home Depot. I probably got 10 of them in my basement, but, you know. Who can... <laughs> are you kidding me, right? Does it ever just go smoothly? So this conversation is going on in my head. I'd love to say that I was in the spirit on that day, but <laughs> I probably lost about 10 pounds of flesh, right? It's just like... Are you kidding me? This simple little thing has got to become this big thing. So it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that, you know, disputing goes on in this world, that problems go on because of who is the prince and power of this world. Here's what the dispute's about. Again, the crowd is there. They're listening to what's happening. And it says the, they see Jesus coming, verse 15, and uh, they beheld him. They were greatly amazed that he was there, and they all run and salute him. And Jesus asked the scribes, what questions you with them? Why are you questioning my disciples? Uh, of course, the scribes, they were the learned men of Israel. They had all the, you know, their business was to know the law of God. And uh, they wrote commentaries on it, and, and they even... The problem was they made their traditions beyond the commentaries. That's why Jesus said, you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your own traditions. Of course, the scribes did do well. They, they you know, copied and would recopy the, uh, the scriptures, making sure that everything was right. There was no spaces between them. There were, that was their thing. And they, we have the Old Testament because of those scribes. But in this case, they are part of the group that is come together to destroy Jesus. They want to get rid of Jesus. He's a threat to them. And uh, so they're using this time here, these learned men uh, are using this time to go after the disciples. Jesus isn't there. This is the perfect time. They, they couldn't cast this demon out as we read, and they could go after them. And of course, the disciples, they're unlearned men. So uh, 
they're already overmatched. And to make matters worse, again, they failed at casting this demon out. Jesus says, what's going on here? What, what are you talking to my disciples about? And the one, the father, steps up from the crowd in verse 17. He says, Master, I brought unto thee my son with a dumb spirit. That keeps the boy from speaking. And he says what he does whatsoever, he, wherever he takes him, he tears him and he foams and gnashes his teeth and pines away. And I spake to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. It's interesting, the scribes were more interested in the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. They're not caring about this father who's in despair. They're not caring about this son who's possessed with a demon. Uh, they're just looking to destroy Jesus, so much so that they're going to seize this as an opportunity to, uh, you know, to disparage the work of the disciples and therefore disparage the work of Jesus. So uh, Jesus speaks up to them and and this man is is there and, and listen you got to look at the nine disciples that are left and and you got to give them some credit because jesus is up on the high mountain he's with peter james and john these nine are left they could have said hey jesus is gone let's take the day off right all clear but instead they're working the work of the ministry they're they're busy they're down in the valley while the other ones are up on the mountain and again this man brings this boy to them and they can't cast him out and this is surprising because when we read in mark chapter 6 we read that jesus gave them power to cast out demons as a matter of fact it says that they went out and cast out many devils so evidently for some reason either jesus gave them the power in chapter 6 just for that mission or for some reason they're not able to do it right here they are powerless they seem to be over their heads uh, you know, they pray, they speak, nothing happens. Maybe a second time they pray and they lay hands on the boy, speak in the name of Jesus, and nothing has changed. And I'm sure that all of us at some point have experienced something like that ourselves where we go and we're praying in faith and we're really believing and nothing happens. And we don't give up, we pray harder. Matter of fact, we crunch and we squeeze as we pray, and, and you know, and nothing happens. And we face these kind of dilemmas. We face them, and when we do, our faith is tested. And we have to understand that this, this passage here is, is not about exercising a demon. Jesus has cast out demons all over the place. It's really about faith and faith being tested. So Peter, James, and John, they come down and they see this. And again, uh, maybe they're questioning themselves as well. Nothing brings you down faster than when things don't go the way they're supposed to, right? You know, you've had it yourself. You're following God, you're praying, you're doing all the things, but things aren't working out. And you, and you begin to doubt. Jesus, in verse 19, says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you or bear you up? He says, how long? You could sense the frustration in the voice of Jesus. And, and understandably so. His di disciples had been with him. They had, you know, these men had been with Jesus for almost three years now. They'd seen what he's done. They've heard his teachings. They've watched his manner of life. And yet they doubt. Again, this is a message of faith. He says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? And listen, if we're honest with ourselves, there's many times that we're just like the disciples and we stumble in our faith and we wonder and we doubt. And I'm sure that Jesus sometimes is very frustrated with us. 
even though he knows this. I'm sure there's sometimes he must, from heaven, be going, Anthony Parisi, come on. Are you kidding me? How many times I got to do this? And yet you don't get it, right? Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Uh, and again, I think it's this rebuke is to the disciples mostly because he expected more from them. Here they were, they said all the right words, but there was something lacking to get the job done. They couldn't do it. So the father comes up. And now you've got to understand the despair of the father. That he says that he, uh, verse 20, they brought him unto Jesus. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked the father, how long is it? since this came unto him. This conversation is given only in the Gospel of Mark. This is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But this is only, this conversation of Jesus and the Father is only here in Mark. And he says to Jesus, it's been since he was a child. And he goes on to say, oftentimes he cast him into the fire and into the waters and destroy, to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, the father has already seen the nine disciples unable to cast out the demon. He heard of the miraculous things Jesus had done. He was confident that they would be able to help him, but they failed. They failed, and now they're, they're discouraged. The father's discouraged, and we'll see why they failed in a minute. It's something that we all can take heed to. He says, Jesus, if you could do anything, have compassion on us. Jesus says, if thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. You know, we're full of ifs, aren't we? If you could do this, Lord. You know, but we're full of ifs. What if this happens? Or what if that happens, right? I, and I get the ifs. We can't see into the future, right? So we throw a lot of ifs around. Jesus tells us, like he tells the father of the boy, if thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Now, this statement really has been taken to extremes, all right? I mean, some take it to mean that Christians could go out and do all kinds of things, you know, if they believe it, it'll be possible. And I'm going to tell you that some of those things aren't true. That might shock you, but if I stand before a basketball court and I look at that rim and I say, I believe I could dunk that ball I believe it. I claim it. I'm going to dunk that ball. Guess what? I ain't dunking that ball, right? Matter of fact, I've even set my sights lower. If I could touch the floor by bending down without bending my knees, I haven't accomplished that one yet, but hopefully pretty soon, you know, trying. But a lot of people think that, you know, that's what the Word of Faith movement does, the name it and claim it, folks. They, they teach the power of faith to be able to create your own reality to get what you want. Uh, that's a false teaching. Okay, faith is, is, they redefine it, you know, they, to do that you could do and speak your faith into existence. And we've got to understand that is not faith. They think that they could, you know, it's a way of controlling God so that they could get what they want. And that is not scripture at all, okay? Uh, true faith doesn't presume on God to give us what we want when we want it, okay? True faith trusts God and will suffer through even, you know, terrible circumstances because they believe God, that God is able. 
Okay, and again, when we look at this and we say God is able, what does that even mean? God is able to deliver this boy, but it's his will to be done, not our will to be done. Right, so again, we see the despair of this father. Uh, you know, this is his only son, and he's being destroyed by a demon. I mean, since he was a little child, he's been dealing with this. Can, can you imagine the pain of this father? You know, again, he says, oftentimes the demon comes, cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Can you imagine the life of the father? At any moment, this demon can take this little child, his only son, cast him into a fire, cast him into the water to destroy him. This boy probably was riddled with burns, bruises. This poor dad had to be on high alert 24-7 because you never knew when it would happen. And I believe he's at the end of his rope where he cries out, if you could just have compassion on us, if you could just do something. Think of that father and the pain that he has as he's bringing his son. When you look at demonic activity in the Bible, and I wouldn't go any other place to look for it because the Bible has, is the expert of it, it seems like demons need a host, okay? Something to live in, something alive to live in. If you remember when uh, Jesus cast out the demons out of the man, they said, let us go into the swine. Right, they needed something alive to be in, and then they got the swine, and the swine ran off the cliff and drowned themselves in the water. Jesus says, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest, looking for something to possess, and find nuns. He says, I will return unto the house from whence I came out. I'll return to that man. Now, as Christians, because you have Christ in you, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, a Christian cannot be possessed. We can be oppressed, something from the outside, but never possessed. Those who aren't saved, well, they could be possessed as this little boy. It doesn't say how it happens, but again, we see it happens. The interesting thing is that the demonic spirit needs a host, needs something, but it seems like even though they're in the host, they're always trying to kill the host, right? They go into the pigs, they kill the pigs. They, they're tearing at this boy, they're throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the water. Why? To destroy him. And you may say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would they be trying to destroy the very host they're living in? And it's because demons only know one thing, just like Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all they do. So let's not fall for the lies of Satan, especially, listen, we got young folks in here today. You, you young folks, let me tell you something. Satan is alive and well. You see what he's doing to our society and how he's trying to destroy, you know, and listen, you kids are under it. He's trying to destroy society because that's all he knows is steal, kill, and destroy. So let me just tell you, let me just give you good words. If your parents are trying to keep you from something, they're doing it because they love you and they know how the enemy works. You say, you may say, oh, well, your parents did it, so it's good for you. Let me tell you something. Your parents are trying to keep you from the scars. They're trying to keep you from the hurts. They're trying to keep you from your demise because the devil is only looking to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, God's the big killjoy in the sky. God seeks to give us life and that more abundant. Okay? He's not trying to steal anything from us. He wants to give us joy. Okay? But we got to understand that he's doing things to preserve us. 
because we have a real enemy out there who's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, this father is desperate. I mean, it's an awful feeling to be a parent and watch your child go through sickness. Uh, you know, I think it's really intense, especially when you could do nothing about it. And he cries out, it says, to Jesus. He cries out, again, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus says, if thou can believe, all things are possible. And the Father gives an answer that is so true. Verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's, that's a great statement, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves before God, isn't that where we all live? I mean, you know, you might be saying, well, you're the pastor. I'm a person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a person just like you. And we're all people of like passions, the Bible says, that, you know what, there are things that we struggle with. And one of the things we struggle with is the fact that, you know what, we could be believing one minute and doubting the next. You know, and again, I'm not making excuses. It happens. I'm not saying it's right, but it happens. Seems like this is where we live. If you remember Elijah, he showed tremendous faith. Elijah goes before Ahab. I was preaching last week, the king of Israel, and he and he goes there as the Lord lives, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, for whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Man, that's bold. And after three years, you know, there arose the big showdown. Elijah against the prophets of Baal. And you know, we see the story how he put the altar up and he dug all around it and put the bullock on the altar and he floods the altar with with water soaks it so that it was you know and he said whoever could call down fire from heaven to consume the offering then that god is god and he calls down fire from heaven and and it comes down and the sacrifices taken up and the water is lapped up and then he goes in and kills 400 prophets of Baal on the mountain you want to talk about a mountaintop experience but yet this same man who James says we are all men of like passions and mentions Elijah this same man right after that as soon as Ahab's wife Jezebel says I'm going to kill you tomorrow we read that in fear he ran away now listen I get it, man. Crazy woman you want to run from. I get it, all right? Just so you know. Run from crazy women, men. Run from crazy women. That's the, there's your story for today. Now, but, but again, what do you see? You see one moment great faith and the next moment doubt. You know, in our own lives, we see how this is played out. You know, we, we believe that Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he died for our sins. All right, we believe that. That's, that's what he did. If you don't understand why Jesus went to the cross, listen, then you need to hear this part. That Jesus went to the cross because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all separated from God. But God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That you've got to place your trust in Jesus alone. Your religion can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. 
on the cross, he paid for your sins with his own blood, and he offers that payment for you, but you have to say yes to Jesus. You have to accept the payment, and it can only be done by faith. You see? And when you do, not only are your sins of the past forgiven, that's amazing. And you know, when I came to the Lord, that it says your sins, all things are washed away. You're given a clean slate, but not only your sins in the past, but your sins of the present and your sins of the future washed away. It doesn't get any better than that. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now. And you know what? We believe that God says that that's true because God said it. Okay? What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We believe that. And we believe it truly. But you know what? In that same thing, we believe it because his word says it. But then we doubt him. God, can you fix my broken marriage? I don't think God could do that. We believe, but we doubt. You know, we believe God when he says, yeah, you're going to heaven. You're kept by the power of God. Yet we doubt. Lord, are you going to really provide for me, even though his word says he'll provide? So this goes on, this wrestling match goes on. We believe and we doubt. You know, at this point in my life, I got to say, I know more about God than when I first believed. I would hope so. Yet at the same time, you know what? I also am very sure of my spiritual shortcomings. You know, Lord, I believe you're sovereign, but this world is crazy. You know, things are beginning to look like uh, we may be that generation that ushers in these last days. What's going to happen, Lord? What am I supposed to do? We doubt. Lord, I believe you got this, but help me in my unbelief. And I think that's where a lot of us live, you know, as a pastor. and, And, you know, we see the church move. It's the only way I could explain it. You know, in the past, we've lost some good people. Some people have moved away trying to escape the great state of New Jersey. (laughs) Some have moved. Some, you know, we've lost some good people. Uh, uh, Keith Kendricks, we lost, you know, in November. He moved away to Texas. 100 degrees every day in the summer. (laughs) Keith, if you're watching, hi. You know, pretty soon, Andy and Annika moving back to Germany. Good folks. Yes, good folks. You know, we've seen people move away. We've seen some good, faithful people pass away. We've seen some stray away. We've seen others go to other churches. Listen, I know that Jesus is the head of the church, okay? That he says, I will build my church. That's what he says. And as a pastor, I have to trust in that. But at times, you're sitting there saying, Lord, what is going on? And i got to keep bringing myself to the fact that, guess what? God is in control. God is in control. I was saying to the 830 service, if they came here at 11 o'clock, this 11 o'clock is like a whole new church. Pretty exciting what God has done, isn't it? Pretty exciting what God has done. And you know what's exciting? That God is still working. When I see people getting baptized here, God is still at work. You see? When I see people that, you know, that, yeah, listen, God's at work. I, I praise God. Listen, today when I see people getting baptized for a pastor, that's a mountaintop experience. You know what I know is coming tomorrow? The valley. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Lord, I believe. Help me in my doubt. 
for the believer, honesty with our doubts can lead us to deeper faith. Listen, we, we may not have the faith to move a mountain, but we may have that faith to make that first step. And a lot of times we think of doubt or unbelief as, nah, everybody does it. But we have to understand that doubt and unbelief is sin. So the first step is to repent. Again, we, we think of it differently, but listen, here's the deal. Here, here's what unbelief is or doubt is. It's not trusting God. I mean, that's it. It's not trusting God. And I'm not pointing the finger at you because I'm pointing at me. Because there's times in my life, I believe, Lord. But help me with that doubt. Help me with that little piece in my mind that still doubts. Help me. You know, I got I to gotta trust God. That, you know, as I've walked with God, he's proved himself over and over and over again. And I got to say, Father, forgive me for doubting. Forgive me. And then here's a simple thing. You got to choose to believe. Right? believe. Faith is a choice. I'm going to choose to believe. Yes, there may be storm clouds around me. Yes, I may not know the answer to everything. There's some things I don't know the answer to. Just ask my wife. So she gives me the answer. But the, she's shaking her head at me. That's a joke, hon. That's a joke. You know. I'm glad I got a wife with a good sense of humor. Could I tell you? Because it could be very detrimental. But the fact is, believing is a choice. You know, when somebody tells me something, you know what I do? I choose to believe it. Except one guy who came and said the earth was flat. I didn't believe that. But I, I had a guy tell me that. I know you, I know, listen, looking at this group, there's some flat earthers here. I'll save that for another day. Save that for another day. I had a guy come to me and says, you got to preach about the flat earth. I said, listen, if the earth was flat, they still need Jesus. So what I got to preach about it for? Right? Anyway, I don't like disputes that you know, crazy. But anyway. I digress, sorry. Let me get some air on in here. I'm starting to get a little hot. You got to choose to believe. That's childlike faith. I believe it because God said it, right? Choose to believe. That, that's just the way it is. I, again, I may not be able to understand all, but guess what, Lord? I'm going to hang in because I do believe that you have thoughts of good for me and not of evil. To, bring, to give me a future and a hope. So I'm going to decide to trust you even in my doubt. Because I know who you are. That you're good. And your decisions are right. Listen, if you're a Christian and you've been walking with Jesus, if, we, if you were to look back on your life, I believe that you know, we'd realize that it's only after times of questioning and doubt that we really began to grow and understand. Because questioning and doubt makes us look for answers. I mean, if you really know Jesus, and, you know, once you know Jesus and things aren't turning out right, where are you going to go? Where am I going to go? I know who you are, Lord. I know that you hold my life in your hands. Where am I going to go? So you know what that means? I'm going to run to you and not away from you. For some of you folks out there, maybe you've been raised in the church. Maybe, you know, you've been clinging to your parents' faith. Let me tell you something. 
your parents' faith is nice, and they gave you a foundation, but let me tell you, when your storms of life hit, you're not going to stand on your parents' faith. you got to learn your own faith. you got to dig deeper yourself. Yes, there's doubts. You may have doubts. You may have fears. Run to Jesus. Get in the Word of God and let Him show you, and your faith will grow. Because He wants your faith to grow. He wants you to be able to stand in the evil day. He wants you to stand when you find yourself in the valley and you have doubts. You could go to him and he'll, he'll take away your fears. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciple. Indeed, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. This man brings his child to Jesus. Verse 25, Jesus says, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter into him no more. Isn't that great? Enter into him no more. This father could know that, guess what? He wasn't coming back. That he could sleep at night and rest. It says, and the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And the little boy was as one dead in so much that many said, he is dead. The boy was healed. But notice, before he was healed... It got worse. Do you notice that? Jesus says, come out of him. And it says, the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. He would fight to the very end. Let me just say this to you. Sometimes you come to Christ and it gets worse before it gets better. The devil doesn't like to give up his ground. For all you folks baptized today, let me encourage you of this. Praise God you got baptized. Don't think that tomorrow that there's not going to be problems. Because you confess Christ publicly, not just to these people here, but you just did it all over live stream. All over the world! <laughs> and I'm sure the devil's going to be like, ah, oh, just let them go. <laughs> Listen, he's there to steal, kill, and destroy. So just hang in there, because... Coming to Christ doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from problems. doesn't mean that friends are just going to understand, oh you came to Jesus? Oh, tell me about it. You may lose friends. You may lose acquaintances. Co-workers may, you know, may bring tension on the job because now you want to live by biblical standards and they don't understand it. This is where you got to trust God. you got to trust God when things get tough. So what can we learn? Because i got to end this. I had to do an, an I had to do a shorter sermon because, uh, you know, everything that was going on. I know some of you are saying, that's shorter? Yes, <laughs> it is. It's shorter. Let's wind it up. Verse 28. The disciples and Jesus go into a house, and his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. I think one of the major lessons we learned today is, you know what, the disciples made this mistake, same mistake that we make today, that we assume we could do the work of God in our own power. You see, they were using the right words like it was some kind of magic formula. They placed their hands on the young man, maybe like they had done before. They followed the example of Jesus, but something was missing, and here's what was missing. There was no power. There was no power. Same words, same actions, no results. Why? Because they didn't pray. It says some come out only by prayer and fasting. Let's not misunderstand this. Jesus is not saying that you should, you know, 
quickly have a quick prayer meeting beforehand. You know, and listen, I believe in flare prayers. You know what a flare prayer is? That something comes on, somebody says, could I ask you something? And you're like, send up that flare. Lord, give me wisdom here. You know, honey, do, do I look good in this dress? Lord, give me wisdom. Because there is no right answer, right? There's no right answer for that. You look lovely. You're lying. That's, that's a flare prayer, right? It's just the way it works. <laughs> but what he's talking about by prayer and fasting, you know what prayer is? It's a de declaration of our dependence on Jesus. Amen. You know, that, and when he's talking about prayer, he's talking about day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute conversation with God. That, God, I am not able, but you are. That I need your power today. That's really, that's what prayer is about. It's just acknowledging, Lord, my dependence on you. I can't do this, but you can. You see, it's having that conversation. It's, it's constantly being plugged into the power source so that when something comes up, you have the power to do it. These men had no power because they had no prayer. And again, it's, that's that ongoing relationship that you need with the Lord because in life, in ministry, you never know when God's going to need you to do something, to help someone who's really in peril like this man was. Notice Jesus didn't say if you only had the right words or if you only had the right formula or if you were a, you know, a graduate of Bible college. He said their power failure was a direct result of their prayer failure. Failure. You see, we are channels, we're conduits of God's grace that as we are seeking him, he empowers us and that flows to others. And that's all of us. Uh, you're, you're a mom at home, guess what? You need to be on your knees, don't you? You're a husband, you need to be on your knees. You're a child, you need to be on your knees. You're a student, you need to be on your knees. We need to be seeking the Lord so that we're empowered to pull off what God has given us to do. Are there doubts? Are there fears? Yes. But this is where we bring them to the Lord. Lord, I can't, but you can. And God is faithful. You know, it's on the mountain. They were on the mountain in this chapter, and that's really what you see, a mountain and a valley. On the mountain, they got to behold his glory. But it's in the valley they got to behold his power. You know, in our Christian lives, we live a lot in the valley. But it's in the valley, it's in those low times when we finally are seeking after him and giving it over to him that we see his power. And that's an awesome thing to see, the power of God in our lives. We may not like the valley, but the truth is our greatest growth is in the valley because we see the power of God. Let's be a people who are on our knees even more so as we see his day approaching. Things aren't getting easier. So as Christians in a fallen world, I hope we understand the need for prayer in our individual lives, in our lives corporately as the church. And we praise God that we could go to his throne of grace with confidence, he says, that we don't have to go in there cowering, but we could go with confidence as his children and cry out, Abba, Father. And he hears us.
Praise God for his great salvation. Praise God for the access that we have as his children. If you don't know him yourself, why don't you make that decision to know Jesus? It'll change your life. It'll change your eternal destiny because it's only through him you could be forgiven, given the free gift of everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, and I believe that in a crowd this size, there are those who have said yes to Jesus. They have the Son, and therefore they have life, and there's others who don't have the Son, and they don't have life. They may have religion. They may have understanding of Jesus. They may know everything, but yet never bowed a knee to Jesus, called on him. So I pray if there's anyone here right now, the Bible says if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart, let today be the day you call upon Jesus for your salvation. Just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus on that cross paid for my sins, and I believe he's the only way. I believe he rose again, and I'm asking that you'd forgive me of my sins, and I'm asking Jesus Christ to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord, to save my soul. Again, it's a cry of the heart, not even the words of that prayer. It's a cry of the heart saying, Lord, save me. I may not understand it all. Lord, I may have doubts. Help me in my unbelief. But I do believe that Jesus is the only way. Save me. If you prayed a prayer like that, God has heard that prayer. Please stop by the welcome desk. Come get some information so you could grow in that faith. Father, for us as believers, we believe, but help us with our doubt. Help us in those times we struggle with things that we don't understand. Help us, Lord. We thank you that you're a God that's available to us, that's accessible to us. I pray that as a people we would get on our knees and seek your face, that you would strengthen us and empower us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for those five that were baptized today that they would walk in the newness of life, that they would be a witness and a a testimony for your kingdom and for your glory, and they would have an impact wherever you place them. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here in our presence today. We ask your blessing on your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.